there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Then Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding region. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear this also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many with a skin disease in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God. Good morning. 
This, uh, this week I was thinking about things that used to be considered weird or strange, uh, maybe had some sort of baggage or stigma attached to them, uh, that over time have instead become normalized, so common that we don't bat an eye anymore. Uh, for instance, I don't know about you, uh, but when I was growing up, I was always told never to get in a stranger's car. And I think on the whole, that's still great advice, um, except now we have Uber and Lyft, right? Entire corporations whose whole business model is, uh, is about people getting in strangers' cars. Uh, and, and while there are certainly situations still in which uh, that's absolutely not okay, thanks to Uber, thanks to Lyft, getting in a stranger's car feels a little bit more normal, doesn't it? We may not think twice. Uh, the same is true, I think, for online dating. Uh, there was a time in which if you met someone online, you wouldn't divulge that information publicly. Uh, you'd instead lie about you know, meeting at a bar or through a mutual friend or something like that and then just hope the person asking uh, doesn't start to pry. Well, which friend was it? You know? um, for some reason, there was this weird stigma attached to it. But, but in my role as pastor, I have the privilege of officiating weddings for a lot of people. And, uh, and of the couples I've married, especially recently, most, if not all, uh, have met each other online, uh, like Tinder or OkCupid. It's a thing now, uh, a lot more common. Crocs. <laughs> yeah, right? Crocs are a thing now. Let's be honest. Who has a pair? Who has a pair of Crocs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were, they kind of had a moment in the mid to late 2000s. Um, I had some too, but I wouldn't be caught dead wearing them outside my house uh, because they weren't exactly the most fashionable. Um, I kept my ownership on the DL because I wanted friends, but, but they're back, right? They're having a moment. Now, you know, uh, they showed up at Fashion Week in, uh, a few years ago in New York City, and uh, they've had collaborations with big-name designers. They're everywhere. Crocs. And, and I'm sure that you can think of other things that have been normalized through exposure and enough people saying, this is a thing now. Okay, sure, great. And by the time we leave this morning, I hope that you never look at Crocs the same way Again, but first, but first, I want to uh, be sure to welcome you. Uh, my name is Brent. I have the great joy of serving as the pastor here at the local church, and uh, we hope for three things. Each and every time you intersect with us in any way, we want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is affirmed in your belovedness as the child of God that you are, anchored in the good news that we share together each week, and empowered then to take that good news into the world, to love where you are affirmed, anchored, and empowered by God's grace. And, uh, and, and we want you, um, uh, our hope is that, that by connection here, by that empowering, you are then able to take your next faithful step to love where you are, whatever that might be. That's our hope, that you would love where you are. Our mission, our mantra, as Leah mentioned earlier, wherever you are in your spiritual journey or on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church and we are more whole with you. And, uh, and if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'd love to do that after the service. I'll be by the door on your way out. If you don't want to meet me, there are plenty of other doors uh, from which you can exit this morning. Um, and as Leah mentioned, too, there's also a card in your seat that um, will help us get to know you. If it is your first time, we'll follow up with you and uh, send you an email and give you um, an option to choose from one of four organizations. And we will make a donation there in your honor uh, as a as, as, uh, 
as, as proof that your presence indeed is a gift in this community. And so be on the lookout for that. Because when we say that your presence is a gift, uh, we, we mean that. I want to say a word uh, as well about where we are in our common life here as we get rolling, uh, what we're into right now. As you heard Leah mention in her intro, uh, the local church uh, is an unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered faith community. An unapologetically inclusive, Jesus-centered faith community. We believe that both things can be true, that they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And in fact, we believe that the more we come to know Jesus, the more we see just how unapologetically inclusive he is. And that should raise a question for us, and that question is this. How do we know? How do we come to know Jesus? And the thing is, is that it's just like it would be for anyone that you want to get to know better. Anyone with whom you are in any sort of relationship. You can't just read a bio or spend a few minutes with someone or swipe through an online dating bio or profile or listen to a podcast and then think, okay, yeah, I know everything about you. We're friends now. That's not how this works. We contain multitudes, right? We're still learning things about each other. And if you've been in any sort of relationship, you know how critical communication and time spent is. There's always something new to learn. And the same is true with Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The reason that we're here requires time spent. Time spent listening to his words, time spent asking him your own questions, time spent just being in the same room together. You don't even have to talk, but just being in the same room. And as I mentioned last week, it's impossible to love at high speed. Or as Phil Collins might say, you can't hurry love, right? It's slow sacred work. And so this is the sort of unhurried work that in this next season of life together at the local church, we are committing ourselves to. We're spending time with Jesus on his terms, at his pace. Instead of jumping from scripture to scripture, sermon series to sermon series, we're going to spend the next season moving slowly through the gospel according to Luke. Luke's biography of Jesus, his narrative retelling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to get to know him, to just get to know Jesus. In our four years of worshiping weekly as the local church, we have never done anything quite like this, which excites me, uh, moved slowly through a particular gospel, but we're giving it a shot. And our hope is that step by step, as we move at the speed of love, what we learn together here will have impact, will have bearing on our lives, on the communities that we find ourselves in, and ultimately, the world that God loves so much. That's our hope. And so as we begin, let's just be quiet for a moment. Holy God, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts this day. Awaken us to the freedom, the liberation, the hope of Jubilee all around us today. Awaken us, open us, O oh God. May we receive what you have for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord. You are our rock 
our strength, and our redeemer. Let it be so. Amen. We began our journey, our slow roll through Luke last Sunday with uh, John the Baptist in the third chapter of Luke. We'll circle back to the first two chapters during Advent. We haven't forgotten about them. But last week, John the Baptist was calling the crowd who had gathered to bear fruits worthy of repentance, to bring their words and their actions into alignment, preparing the way for Jesus. And then Jesus shows up and is baptized. We hadn't seen him since he was 12 years old, but uh, here he is now. We met him last week, 30 and thriving, all grown up. And he enters the Jordan to be baptized. And Luke writes how the heavens are opened and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and a voice from heaven uh, comes and declares identity and purpose of Jesus, blesses him all before Jesus has even done a thing, which is pretty cool. Don't miss that. The blessing preceded any action, which is pretty cool, which is true for us, too. Blessing always comes first. And he'll need it because immediately after baptism, he is led into the wilderness by the Spirit, uh, where he's tempted for 40 days by the devil, tempted to deny his identity, tempted to misplace his trust, tempted to abuse his own power. And then the devil flees, waiting for an opportune time. And that's when Peggy picked up the scripture This morning, Jesus has returned to Galilee and word has started to spread about him, begins to teach. He's getting some good buzz, about to go viral, about to pop off. His next stop is Nazareth, his hometown. He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom. And now I want you to notice how Luke tells this story, how he heightens the suspense and builds the anticipation. I'm going to offer it here again. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. That detail, notice that detail. And every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. Can you feel that? He's got this crowd in the palm of his hand, right? Some who are skeptical, I'm sure. Others who say, I knew him when. Others who want to see what all this fuss is about. Maybe a few who who know him intimately. Here he is, ready to go public with his mission and purpose, and they're tracking, they're hanging on every word, just like you are right now, right? Every eye fixed on their hometown hero. And you can feel it. You just know that whatever he's about to say next is going to be huge. But first, a little background. Because what you need to know is this section uh, uh, that Jesus reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is all about something called the Jubilee year. You heard Leah reference it earlier. And here's the gist of Jubilee. I'll be honest, growing up in my churches, we didn't talk enough about Jubilee. Uh, And so here it is. You might think of the Queen's Jubilee. You might think of a party. And in some ways, that's true. In some ways, it's not not a party. But the Jewish concept of Jubilee originates in the book of Leviticus in the Torah, the Jewish law book. God tells God's people that every seven times seventh year, that's every 49 years, they should set aside this year of Jubilee. 
And in that 50th year, there's this sort of big release, this big letting go, this big surrender, a big exhale for the land, for the economy, for the people. You see, in the Jubilee year, all debts would be forgiven. Anyone enslaved would be set free. And anyone whose family land had been taken from them, maybe they had to sell it, the land would be restored back to them. The year of Jubilee is basically one big reset button. And this whole year was set aside to enjoy the fruits of that reset, like a, like a super Sabbath that goes on for more than a day, but a whole year, this super Sabbath to experience what life can be like when the world is remade. That's what Jubilee is all about. When those enslaved reclaim their humanity out from captivity and forced labor, when those who are in debt, those without enough, are set free and given a fresh start out from a system designed to keep people in poverty, in debt, when the land is allowed to rest, such that those who work it might remember that it belongs to God and that they do too, out from the exploitative practices that disconnect us and detach us from the land. Jubilee allows us to catch a glimpse of the world as God intended. Each person as beloved and not a machine. Relationships defined by abundance and not scarcity. The land as a source of life and not a commodity. At its core, Jubilee is about justice. And Jubilee is about the joy that springs forth when that justice is made real. Are you with me? Which brings us back to Jesus. Because after reading the section of Isaiah about the year of Jubilee, good news for the poor, release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, liberation for the oppressed, the next words out of his mouth are these. Then he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If Jesus had a mic to drop, this would have been that moment. Because what Jesus is saying is that he's here to usher in this jubilee reality. This is his mission. This is what he's about. I remember in high school English, when we were learning how to write papers, the teacher would say, tell them what you're going to do. Do it. And then tell them what you did, right? Well, this is Jesus' moment of telling telling them what he was going to do. This is the part where he sets his intention from here on out. His ministry and his mission is one of jubilee. And this is important, especially as a community who begins this journey of discovering who Jesus is and what it means to be a Jesus-centered community. We cannot know Jesus apart from jubilee. We cannot know Jesus apart from from Jubilee. We cannot know Jesus apart from his mission to release, to set free, to liberate, to restore. And notice that he doesn't say it's coming soon. He doesn't say one day. He doesn't say we have to wait for it. Be patient. He says what? Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. And the crowd, they're eating it up, right? They love it. They elbow one another and say, this is Joseph's boy. Huh. 
It's pretty good. But then he keeps going. (laughs) Maybe he should have quit while he was ahead. Because he then shares two more stories from their scriptures. One from the book of 1 Kings. One from 2 Kings. Stories that they would have known. And these stories function to sharpen Jesus' message. It says something about who this jubilee of justice and joy is for. In both examples... A Gentile widow of Zarephath, the cleansing of Naaman, the Syrian. Jesus is making clear that Jubilee isn't just for the insiders. It's not just for you, Jesus says. Not just for those sitting in the synagogue, but but the Jubilee promise fulfilled today extends beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles. In other words, the arms of Jesus are stretched beyond the Jewish community to all people, even those people. And all of a sudden... The good news of Jubilee doesn't seem so good. Because if Jubilee is about releasing, if it's about setting free, if it's about liberation, it turns out that there can be a lot to release when we're dealing with the other. Fear, bitterness, grudges, snap judgments. Which is why in a fit of rage, the crowd suddenly turns and wants to kill this hometown hero. Quite a welcome. But before they can hurl him off a cliff, Jesus passes right through them. Jesus says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we may look around. We may wonder, really? Today? Credit card debt in the U.S. is at an all-time high. The summer was the hottest on record. Cycles of poverty and unjust systems are baked into our common life. Closer to home, you may feel bound and snared by shame. Maybe you can't escape the negative self-talk. Maybe you wonder if the debt is going to do you in, or perhaps you've been hurt and forgiveness feels impossible. Maybe the grief feels all-consuming sometimes, whether it's addiction or fear of the future, a sense of hopelessness and apathy. Maybe you know something about captivity. But Jesus says, today, not tomorrow, not one day soon. He says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. In a poem of the same name today, poet Drew Jackson writes this. He says, tomorrow is easier. It demands little of me. Tomorrow lets me relax and kick back. That's by design. But Jackson says, today requires something of me. It requires that I wake up, put on my clothes, and go. Today requires that we wake up, put our clothes on, and live as jubilee people, peeling back the curtain to reveal a remade world that the crowd wants so desperately to hide. A world in which each and every person knows their sacred worth. A world in which everyone has enough. A world in which the land, creation, finds its rest. And maybe the task for us is to trust that Jesus is right, that he means what he says, 
when he says, today, today, Jubilee is here. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. To accept the gift of liberation today, to open ourselves up for it and be awakened, working for the liberation of ourselves and others. To be sure, Jubilee can be hard to see. It can feel strange in a world hell-bent on trying to keep it hidden. The furthest thing from normal. But I believe that with every act of forgiveness, every embrace of another, every sharing of our stuff, every second chance, every postcard to a lawmaker begging for change, every prayer, every hour of Sabbath, every river cleanup, every cancellation of death, debt, every time we gather in a space like this, every recognition of our own sacred worth and our own belovedness, every time, every time we declare today the scripture is fulfilled, then Jubilee becomes a little more real, a little more normal. And my hope, my fervent prayer is that little by little by little, Jubilee becomes just as normal as riding an Uber to your first date in a pair of Crocs. <laughs> For real. That there is a moment of Jubilee in our midst, and we say, yeah, of course. And not, wow. This morning, we get the opportunity to hear a story of Jubilee from our team that uh, went on the Appalachia Service Project uh, a few weeks back in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, you, as a congregation, were so generous in making this uh, trip happen for so many of us. I was a part of that trip, and, uh, and, and some folks from the trip uh, want to come now and share their experience with you out of gratitude and as a declaration of a moment of jubilee. Uh, so, Steve, yeah. As we start to gather the, the team up front, I just want to thank you on our behalf for your support, your prayers, your contributions that allowed us, that enabled us to spend a week in Huntington, West Virginia, practicing Jubilee. We had the honor to work in two families' homes. Kids coming in the back have had a chance to crawl underneath a house to put up siding in the blistering heat. Um, we all came back changed. Um, and in this spirit of Jubilee, we want to share with you what we did in that week. We may not have called it that when we were doing it, but we certainly understand what Jubilee, better understand what Jubilee means now. Hmm? Hmm? Um, I was inspired this morning to say something. Um, my thoughts just came to me, so I wrote them down. But I want you to know that I always thought ASP was an exhausting week of home repair. 
And why would I ever want to do that? Not me. I have plenty of repairs I could just do at home, stay there and work on those, right? Was I ever wrong? This summer, I discovered that ASP is actually a time spent with Jesus. Time spent with Jesus in community, laughing <laughs> and learning with others. Time spent with Jesus joyfully serving others in, in community, serving meals together, installing J Channel. I never knew what J Channel was. Still not sure I do, but... Um, and installing siding, which if you need siding installed on your house, I'll be happy to come help. I think Xander would too, maybe some of these others. Um, but it was also time spent with Jesus receiving help from others. Help with measuring twice, cutting once, help hammering the siding in, and so much more. And I'll tell you what, our teenagers, they know how to use a hammer, and they were a great help, especially to me, all week. So although the days were physically exhausting by spending time with Jesus, the days were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it, and it became an exciting week, not an exhausting week. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jay. Thank you again for your support, your prayers, and your contributions. We are going to go next year. So what we'd like you as a congregation to think about is what week in June or July might you be available to come with us. Thank you so much. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.